0: this uh, Gospel of Mark continues to give us valuable lessons. Valuable lessons from Jesus Himself. And these lessons He is definitely teaching the disciples. And through this three-year ministry He has done that. And now we have come to the last few months and the teaching has gotten more intense, if that's possible. As He is now in the very Passion Week. And it's just like the biggest test of all. And every word He speaks is so important at any time, isn't it? And as He comes down to this last, final time, this is going to be the last few hours in the flesh as He lives here in this body with the disciples. They're getting numerous instructions on how they are going to live the Christ-like life. So Jesus now puts the focus On the subject of prayer, every week as you break down the Gospel of Mark, have you noticed there's a topic in each one? As we go through expositorily, there's always another topic. It's incredible how God's word comes through. And so, if somebody likes topics, they're there. As you go through the Bible, as you go through Scripture, there they are. You don't have to make them happen; they're right there. And so, this is an important instruction. They really hadn't had that much need for prayer, if you really think about it. Have you thought about it? Jesus is around them all the time. Why do they really need to pray? He has supplied everything they have needed. I'm not saying that they didn't pray as a matter of fact that they even ask? and the sermon, you know as as for uh one time they said Jesus shows how to pray and uh, of course we we know that they prayed, but when his when his presence is right there. It's like he's provided for their, they've been provided for uh, water, food, clothes, everything they need. And, but he's going to leave. The kind of communication that he has had with them for three years is now going to be different. It's going to go to prayer just like you and I do. And they're going to have to live by faith and not by sight. And so this is very important to them as it's uh, important to us. And I think Jesus has to keep driving home the point of what prayer is about and how you do it. And He has it uh, all throughout His teachings and recorded in the Gospels. So these last few hours, they really need some big instruction here. Why and how does this issue of prayer come up in this particular moment? You know, you read through here, he's cleansing the temple. He had cursed the tree before that, and that's where we were at last week. And then they as they are on their way into Jerusalem, they pass by that tree again, and Peter says in twenty one, Rabbi, look the fig tree which you cursed, look, it's withered. You know. He had gone, remember to the temple, and he had made a shambles of that place. Because of what had happened, it was like a marketplace. it was like a, um, an atmosphere of a zoo with everything going there in the court of the Gentiles, and that was supposed to be the house of what? the house of prayer. you've made my and that the whole temple. you've made my house of prayer a den of robbers, a house of prayer. Now, the the next day, granted, it's the next day, but that's what he had done. It was definitely on their minds. There was no true prayer there at the house of prayer, was there? And that's what he was so angry about, what they had done with it. So Peter has a remark as they're going into the city again, and Peter sees the tree, and the disciples see that tree, and it's withered. I mean, from the roots up. And that just doesn't happen. We have a tree that's, in our yard that's been dying for years, but it won't die. You know, up at the top it is, and it looks like some kind of Halloween scary thing, you know, and there's no branches on it. But going up that way, there are some branches. And finally got some of it cut down. It's a big old stump there now. But got some of that cut down, but you know, as I cut it, I go, this thing is not rotten at all. It's going to take a while to die. Trees don't just die overnight, although sometimes it seems like it, but um, there's been something happening for quite some time. And so the disciples are kind of blown away by this, and Peter makes this remark, and uh, now Mark is linking that, and, and of course Jesus is linking that, with the power of God. The withering of a tree. The cursing of a tree. I mean, this is, a, uh, this is not a positive thing. This is a negative thing in, in the sense that instead of uh, life being restored, we have here destruction. And what Jesus is really pointing out, I believe, is that the power of Jesus is to be seen in that and we have the access to the very power of God. The same kind of power that can wither a tree, same kind of power that He can go into the temple and clear everything out of there like He did, that's the might of God, isn't it? And the disciples needed to know this. They need to be reminded. They'll remember this one. They need to become totally dependent upon the resources that's been given. The available resources. He's given us power. He has given us the strength to go to Him And he is accessible. He is always present. We need to know this, don't we? They needed to know that because he wasn't going to be around much longer. We need to know it. We need to be reminded constantly that we live by faith and not by sight. And so, as we read his word, we also pray. And as we pray, we're dependent upon him, we believe him. And so this is a good, valuable lesson that he gives them, and it certainly reminds us how often we forget. So let's go into, uh, let's look at verse 21 first. I really didn't have it originally to be in this because we finished up with it last week, but you have to have it to see the answer. Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed is withered. Now let's go to Matthew 21 and see the other account. Matthew 21, verse 20. So when you're reading in the Gospels a lot, you have parallel accounts. And it's good to read all of them because you get uh, the fullest extent of it from the writers. Seeing this, the disciples were amazed. And so instead of just Peter, it was the disciples saying this too. How did the fig tree wither all at once? That's the question. They're amazed by this. How did it do it at once? Now they've seen miracles after miracles after miracles, haven't they? Hundreds, thousands. And you first read this, and then the next thing is, truly I say to you, if you have any faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what was done to the fig tree, but even if you say to the mountain, be taken up and cast and see, it will happen. Something very similar that happens to Mark here, uh, in Mark, Jesus says in uh, Mark, uh, as is recorded, have faith in God. Now Peter is like saying, hey, look at this, look at the fig tree, it's withered, it's, 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 it's been cursed, and look what happened, how does this happen? Jesus says, have faith in God. What a demonstration. It baffles Peter because it's a destructive miracle. How does this happen? That's really kind of what Peter is saying. How does this happen? How? How does this kind of power work? Wow! (laughs) Wow, look, Jesus. (laughs) Jesus is going, Oh, man, I didn't know I was going to do that. (laughs) I don't think so, right? Wow, Jesus, the fig tree you cursed is withered. Sometimes we, we always tell him things he already knows anyway, right? When we go to prayer, are we telling him something new? <laughs> he already knows what we're going to say, right? But that's what he wants us to do. Peter's saying, I've seen this display of your power. There's nothing really wrong with that at all. And Jesus says, have faith in God. This kind of power that you just experienced comes from God. You have faith in Him. What a great teaching opportunity Jesus uses. He takes He makes a transition, doesn't He? He goes from this thing that he did at the temple and and with the tree and now he moves it right into prayer which they need to know because it's linked. It's prayer and power are linked. You cannot separate that. The power of prayer, right? The very display of power that it took to strike that tree and quickly strike it, make it dead is a demonstration of divine power. It's different than some of the other miracles but that's What they needed to know. Power comes from God. And we'll do well to notice that it's not have faith in yourselves and it's not have faith in your what? Faith. If I just believe hard enough, then it'll happen. If I say it long enough and loud enough and really believe it, then it'll come true. Now we hear that kind of gospel today too, don't we? That's not a gospel. But that's what you hear quite frequently. But Jesus says, have faith in God. Not in your faith. Not in yourself. You don't have to work up enough faith. The faith is there. But it's something that will happen when you trust in God. So that's one thing. It's talking about the demonstration of divine power. Well, faith is a key ingredient is a foundation of prayer. Absolute confidence in God's power. Absolute confidence. How confident are we? Well, I think one way to do it, Peter remembered something. He remembered something from the day before. Now, that's pretty easy to remember. Of all the things going on, you would have thought, well, maybe they'll forget about it. Now they walk right by it and they see it. Maybe they're reminded. Maybe they kind of forgot about it. There it is. Remembering is very important when we deal with prayer. Because it remembers what God has done for us in the past as we live from day to day by faith. We just live by faith, don't we? We can't see God. We can't see all the things that He's doing. He doesn't reveal everything. But the more we remember, the more we start to realize that He's a faithful God. Right? God is a faithful God. He's always provided for us. How great He is, right? He's never let us down. And what He has done for us, what He is doing for us, He will continue to do for us. And we are just going to become more confident. The more we grow in our Christian life, if we've been in the Word of God and we have been in prayer and we have been in fellowship, the more that we have been around, the more we have to draw off from. You ever notice that? An old Christian has a lot of things to remember. Probably forgotten all those, but you start going back and think, "Oh well, God did this, God did that. He did this and that and that that. He did this, he did that. Wow, this God is something I can count on. He's never let me down." But we start looking at the future and we think, "Well, would yeah? But then, is he going to let us down? Then he hasn't before, but okay, be confident, absolutely confident." And when you look at the book of Deuteronomy, some of this I'm kind of stealing from a past lesson we had when we were in Second Peter. I do these things, I say these things to remind you of these things. Remembrance is something that we need to have. We forget. We get from day to day, hour to hour. Where would I set my glass at? <laughs> hey, Opportunity. My mouth is dry. I don't know why. But anyway, God told the the Israelites to remember Him. Didn't He? Remember. In Deuteronomy, the second giving of the law, He takes them back to what He had done. You you remember this. You remember the, the plagues that He put on Egypt. You remember the Passover as He delivered them out of Egypt. And then the crossing of the Red Sea. And then in the wilderness where He tapped the rock and the water came out of it. And then the manna, He fed them, gave them drink. Their shoes didn't even wear out for the 40 years that they were there. I mean, the clothes didn't wear out. Isn't this incredible? Just remember that. Hang on to that, Israelites, what God did for your forefathers. Uh, Look in Psalm 77. All throughout scripture we are told to remember. Remember. Psalm 77. Something of the same thing we were just talking about there. In verse 11, I shall remember the deeds of the Lord, His works. Surely I will remember your wonders of old. I'll meditate on all your work and muse on your deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your strength among the peoples. You can go on and on. But he's he's saying, We are to remember the deeds of the Lord. Remember. Psalm one oh five. Skipping quite a few you could go all over the place, but Psalm one oh five. Verse 5, this is about the Lord's wonderful works on the nation of Israel, his people. Remember his wonders which he has done, his marvels, and the judgments uttered by his mouth. Remember that. Remember. Oh, we forget. Uh, Psalm 143. Verse 5. I remember the days of old. I meditate on all your doings. I muse on the work of your hands. Let's go into a prophet. Isaiah chapter 46. This is just a little smattering of many verses in the Bible that tell us to remember. Isaiah 46 verse 9. Remember the former things long past. For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is no one like me declaring the end from the beginning. And from ancient times, things which have not been done, saying my purpose will be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. So when you start thinking about what he's done in the past, then you see the purpose and everything that he has in the future. So everything that he is planning is going to come about. He's been faithful in the past. He will do it in the future, right? And so if he's done that, he's going to continue to do it. So it means a lot to the nation of Israel, to the individuals. And right here today as we sit, it means a lot to us. We need to know these things, don't we? So that's the idea of of uh, faith. It's dealing. It's a foundation of prayer this remembering here. God has dealt with the saints in the Old Testament. God dealt with the saints in the New Testament as we have recorded in the uh, the books of the New Testament. You think of Paul and uh, then you think of uh, so many
1: uh,
0: other people, all the apostles, and how God worked it out, how the church grew, how He used people and moved them on from place to place. So that's faith and that's remembering. Now in faith also it means actually to trust. Faith is the same thing as trust. The one who trusts will never be dismayed. That's your Isaiah chapter 28.16 passage. The one who trusts will never be dismayed. As long as we're trusting. And how much we believe is not the issue here. You can say, well, then I've got to work this up. It's about the character of God. We trust in Him. We trust His faithfulness. We trust His power. We trust His promises. We trust His future purpose. His will. We just trust it. everything. Trust that He knows best. We were talking about older shows this morning, some of us up here. That brings back to remind me of uh, Father knows best. (laughs) Well, the, the Father in Heaven knows absolutely best, doesn't He? And so that Father, we can trust Him. Whatever He's going to do, Is going to be His will and it's going to be the best thing that can happen. Although we might have another idea and who are we compared to God, right? We think it ought to be in our timing in the way that we would like it to happen, right? That's not about trusting God. We want whatever His will is. I have to think of Peter in chapter 4 of the, the first Epistle, 1 Peter 4, verse 19. And here he's talking about suffering for God's glory. Therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God. That means it's the will of God for us to suffer. How incredible that sounds. And if you're saying, Dennis, I can't even believe that. God would never do that. Well, then you don't believe Peter because if you were here for the Wednesday night studies, that's we got a... Uh, well, a big serving of this constantly through those chapters. Therefore, Peter was inspired by God's Spirit, so therefore it is the Word of God. Therefore, those who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust, there's our word trust, entrust their souls to a faithful Creator in doing what is right. It's not blind faith or blind trusting. It's based upon what... He is. Who He is. What He's about. Trust. I have to think of Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. Here is Paul. Now, that was Peter. Here's Paul. And while he's writing one of these epistles, which happens to be a prison letter, it's a prison epistle, Paul is writing this. Look in verse 12. Now I want you to know, brethren, as he writes back, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. So that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole praetorian guard and to everyone else. And that most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the Word of God without fear. So there he is in jail, imprisoned. He's writing this and he says, even if I can't be out there doing ministry like I was doing, look, this is spreading the gospel out. Because others are becoming more encouraged by this and they're out taking this. And by the way, the whole praetorian guard is knowing about Christ. That's just trusting God. Circumstances don't seem right. Just keep trusting God. No matter where you're at, no matter where you're at. Trusting God doesn't mean you're going to get whatever you want. Okay? And I know our passage today, and we'll get into that very quickly. I know our passage looks like that's what it's saying. You're not gonna get whatever you want at every time. It's not demanding of God or seeing him as a genie. A lot of people would like to see God as Santa Claus, as a genie. The one who just gives you everything you think you need and you want. It is knowing this, though, that He will do what is best. No matter what I think is best. That's trusting God. Now, that's faith, isn't it? This is what we're trying to learn. Now, we get into another. We're back to our Mark passage. Let's check this off and see if we're staying true to that idea here Jesus answered saying to them have faith in God truly I say to you whoever says to this mountain be taken up and cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart but believes this what he says is going to happen it will be granted him there we go there's the word believe truly I say to you whoever says to this mountain and we know that that is a uh, a phrase that is sounds ridiculous but this was something that they were familiar with matter of fact this whole thing even verse 24 therefore I say to you all things for which you pray and ask believe that you have received them and they will be granted you it almost sounds too good to be true it sounds a little bit over the top it sounds extravagant it it, it does not seem like something that happens to me right? Sounds a little unbelievable. How can that be? How can I get anything that I I ask for? I do want to tell you, Jesus really means this. And we need to hear this. We need to know this. We need to be reminded. We can tend to minimize this. It's here. Jesus says it. It's a Jewish phrase. This deal about the mountain. Sing to the mountain. Be taken out and cast into the sea. Um, that's something that's rather impossible to do. And any one of us could be standing in front of a mountain today and trying to do that, and the chances are, pretty good chances, that mountain isn't going to go into the Atlantic Ocean. You know? And I don't know if there have been people that have tried that. I'm sure there probably have been. But what's this Jewish phrase mean? He's just barring from what the rabbis would uh Use. It was a vivid phrase. It's talking about removing difficulties in our lives. Um, a good teacher who could remove the difficulties, the scholars would call a mountain remover. Whenever they would have difficulties in, in their teaching, their, their uh, some of the theology, and they were able to bring out some kind of truth to it, that seem to be impossible to uncover, we know that mountains of problems that stand in the way, right? So these are things that are strong. They're seemingly immovable. And he says there are formidable people, special people who can move mountains. That's us. That's disciples. We can move mountains this figure of speech that's dealing with difficulties or seemingly impossibilities. You might be going through a terrible, difficult time in your life. It seems like there's no hope. It seems like there is no solution. But yet you continue to believe. Believe, trust, basically the same But he's saying here. Um, believe. Believe that what God says He's going to do is going to happen. When we doubt... Who are we really doubting? We're doubting God. We're doubting His Word. Look in James one six, Quite familiar verse here. But he must ask in faith, believing God, without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Saying, "Trust in God, no matter what." I mean, the waves in the ocean—they're getting higher, higher, covering you up, hitting you, pounding you—and he says, "Just keep trusting." Go to Matthew 14:28. Okay, this is the storm, right? This is Jesus walking on water. Peter said to Him, Lord, if it's You, command me to come to You on the water. And He said, Come. And Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. He really did? But seeing the wind, he became frightened, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out His hand, took hold of Him, and said to Him, You of little faith why did you doubt you of little faith Mark 9 verse 14 it's about the demon possessed the son going to be delivered when they came back to the disciples they saw a large crowd around them and some scribes arguing with them this is after the Mount of Transfiguration Immediately when the entire crowd saw him, they were amazed and began running up to greet him. And he asked them, What are you discussing with them? And one of the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought you my son, possessed with a spirit which makes him mute, and whenever it seizes him, it slams him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, grinds his teeth, and stiffens out. I told your disciples to cast it out, and they could not do it. And He answered them and saying, Oh unbelieving generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him to me. Alright? Now there's an unbelieving faith. They have little faith, which is a lot better. There they had unbelieving faith. Right? So here we have... We have little faith, little faith all the way through. And then uh, you, you know, you look in other passages, little faith constantly. You know when they had the clothes, when they had the food, when they had the water, that whenever they had the calm seas, which was most of the time, all the visible resources, when Jesus was there with them, they had what kind of faith? Little faith. We just saw some. Little faith, no faith even right there with him, knowing that he was around. But when he's leaving, he's getting ready to leave very soon, they're going to need a little more than little faith. This is why he's teaching them. Faith isn't the power. It's not because our faith... That's not the power. Have faith in God. What are we saying? Faith is the empty hand that receives the power from God. If you have faith the size of a grain of mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, be removed, right? Be removed, it'll be removed. Even a small amount of struggling faith can draw out the very power of God in the life of all believers. You say, what are are we saying here? Well, let's keep going. Right now it looks like Pretty good stuff here. But it's not a matter of how much I believe, but do I trust Him? Therefore I say to you all things for which you pray and ask. And that's another part of prayer, asking. Believe that you have received. We just covered the word believe. Now we go into ask. If then you being evil, remember this one? Know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask Him? Ask and believe that you have already received, and it will be granted. There we go again. I'm not going to try to explain that, but we'll be going further through the passage. But look in Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. Sermon on the Mount. Ask. And it will be given to you. Seek, you'll find. Knock, it'll be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be open. It goes on with that, but that's something we're familiar with. James chapter 4. We were there earlier. James had a lot to say about prayer in his little book. And he was considered to be who? Do you know what his nickname was? Old Camel Chapter four, verse three. You ask and do not receive, because you ask, here we go, with wrong motives, so that you may spend it on your pleasures. Now we're getting somewhere a little bit further here. Asking, but asking with wrong motives. You, you want to, you know, you ask, you're not receiving. I mean. I say to you, all things, all things, all things will be given to you. Right? That's what it says in verse 24 of Mark 11. Therefore I say to you, all things for which you pray and ask, there is having the right motive in asking. All things. Lord understands all of our Christ. Lord understands our cry for a healing, spiritual healing, physical healings. Lord understands that. He understands when some of that children that that grieve you and and torture you with disaffection and rebellion. He understands that. He understands the struggles that we have with money and finances. He he knows all that. He understands all that. He wants us to go to him and
1: pray.
0: He says, he knows what's in our heart. And He will never forsake you. Right? He will never forsake you. He will never withhold anything good from you. And things will work together. Right? For your good. If you faithfully ask. Wow. But this is not the only lesson that Jesus has on... Prayer. It's not the only lesson. Prayer must be the will of God. And if it's the will of God, He will give you. Remember, it's not always our timing. But He will do that. And He says everything. You can pour out your heart to Him. You can storm heaven. But there is this qualifying statement. Nevertheless, as Jesus said to the Father, not my will, but your will be done. Why? Because He has greater motives. His are always pure. His are always wiser. His are more generous. His are more gracious. His are more merciful than anything we could ever come up with, and if you've seen if you've been asking for things in the past and you've finally gotten through that and sometimes you don't even know that he he actually answered your prayer, then you start looking at it and you go, "Wow, he gave me a lot more than I ever even imagined that I could have asked for. We have the Holy Spirit, don't we? Holy Spirit who intercedes for us, but we can't interpret verse twenty four like, if you pray hard enough and you really believe hard enough, somehow you're working it up, God is obligated to answer your prayers. And people will use that verse in that way and that's not what He's talking about. No matter what you ask, right? It's not faith in your faith, but it's faith in God. I want God's will. I believe God. I believe what He says in His Word here. Go to Mark 14.36. Did we do this one? And He was saying, Abba, Father, all things are possible for You. Remove this cup from Me. Here we go. This is Jesus Himself. Yet not what I will, but what You will. Wow. And we know that that was the whole plan. And it had to be carried about. And it was done in God's will. How about chapter 14 of John, verse 12? Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in Me, believe, trusting in Me, just trusting, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do, because I go to the Father. Whatever you ask in My name, that will I do. Something there that's Very key. Whatever you ask in My name, in Jesus' name. Whatever is consistent with Jesus so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. That's what our prayer is about. That it would be consistent with what Jesus would ask for and so that it would glorify God. There's our right motive. And if the motive is right and you still haven't gotten answered, you know that the motive is right and God will answer. It might be years down the way. Are you willing to do that because it's God's will? Okay. We are very impatient people. You guys know that? You say, what are you hitting on me for? I think I just hit on everybody. This is what we battle with, folks. This is it. This I know this well because <laughs> I deal with it every day. John fifteen sixteen. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, in the authority of Christ, whatever it is in agreement with Christ, He may give to you. By the way, I command this, that you love one another. <laughs> John fifteen six, Same chapter. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a uh, as a branch and dries up. And they gather them, cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, this shows that you are a true believer. If you are abiding in Christ, then they will do this. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. There, it's dealing with abiding in Christ, abiding in Him, His Word. You ask but make sure it's consistent with Me. Make sure that it's consistent with who I am. Make sure it's consistent why I came, Jesus is saying. Make sure it's consistent with My purpose. So those things that are on your heart, maybe the Lord put those there. Maybe those desires that you have that it doesn't seem like it's happening right now are being answered. They will be answered. And it's the will of God, but it hasn't happened yet. J.C. Ryle had a really good paragraph on this. I'm going to share it with you. We have no right to expect that whatever we take into our heads to ask of God will at once be done for us, whether it is for His glory or our sanctification or not. We have no warrant for presuming that in every difficulty and trouble, God will at once work a miracle and deliver us from our anxiety as soon as we make it a subject of prayer and that's not and by the way it's a sin to be anxious anyway it says be not anxious right just trust in me and trust in my timing this is hard stuff this is stuff we deal with though just don't expect it to be a miracle and boom it's gone away don't uh, don't expect it to be that fig tree that got cursed you know boom boom and it happens that quickly and above all, J.C. Rowell says, we must not think to tell God the time and way in which He must remove mountains for us. I think that says a lot. Maybe our trouble is is that what we want from God is our answer, right? And we don't recognize His answer when it comes because we're looking for Our answer. We don't see things always very clearly. But He does. And He gives us exactly what we need. The reason that we are in our situations today, and they can be really good, they can be indifferent, they can be bad, but you look at this and you go, trust in Him. Keep trusting. Look what He's done. Keep looking at that. Then he's got one thing here. Okay. Back to our mark. And he says, whenever you stand praying, while we're on forgiveness, he says this. And that, that was what they most often did. They stood praying. they go to the temple and they would stand praying. But it, it can be any way. You can be kneeling. Uh, you can be laying prostrate, sitting, whatever. Whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father who is in heaven will also forgive you your transgressions. Whoa. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father who is in heaven forgive your transgressions. It's a difficult passage. But this isn't talking about salvation. Because if it is, it means that you lose your salvation. But it's not talking about that. It's talking about um, we've already had the judicial forgiveness. There is an ongoing thing that's happening in our sanctification where we are to confess our sins. We are, in this case, to forgive people. Um, This is talking about sins that are part of our lives as believers that stand between us and the Lord. And so he brings this in. And uh, no prayers can really be heard if we have an unforgiving heart. We have no right to look for some kind of mercy if we're not ready to extend mercy to our brothers. And of course, He's saying that. Now, you remember the disciples at this time are um, going around having problems with uh, whoever's the greatest. So they've got some jealousy and some things happening there. And He's talking about extending mercy and grace and love and forgiveness. We can't feel the sinfulness of sin if we have to. If we're not pardoning others, if if there's been something, we sometimes we cherish malice towards people and we hang it there. And he's saying all forget, all can forgive other people. Uh, the word is afimi, and it means to hurl it away. It means to get rid of it, throw it out. He says that's not consistent with who God is. God does forgive He is forgiving. He has forgiven us, right? I mean, my uh talking about a matter of grace. Uh, Matthew six fourteen Sermon on the Mount Matthew six fourteen fifteen. For if you forgive others for their transgressions your Heavenly Father will also forgive you in your Christian walk that you have. If you forgive others, then you're having a right relationship with the Lord. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. And so He's saying that that has to be an ongoing thing. And you can see it, it's on the Sermon on the Mount. As a matter of fact, that's what's known as the Lord's Prayer. It's a, it's a, a, I think a good title for it is the Model Prayer. It's a prayer that the disciples are learning an outline of what prayer is, and right at the end of it, basically he's saying forgiveness is really important. What good is it to pray if you don't have the um, aspect of forgiveness in your own heart? Of course, Jesus had taught on that, and there were um, parables that he'd given. Matthew 18 is a good one. Um, A real short one is found in Ephesians. Ephesians 4 starts telling us how to live the Christian life. Okay, first three chapters, here's who you are in Christ, here's your position, and then here's your practice. And right there in that chapter 4, verse 32, he says, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, and I think this sums it up, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. And then I can think of uh, Stephen, of course, Jesus on the cross, Father forgive them for they know what they do. And then, of course, Stephen knew of that and he said the same thing as they're killing him. Forgiveness is not, well, I will forgive, but I'll never forget. Can't say that either. It's kind of like the guy who buries the hatchet. You've heard of burying the hatchet? Yeah. And then the handle's sticking out. <laughs> That really does not any good. Hold a grudge. Holding a grudge, you want that? Or do you want bringing down power from heaven? From God's power, right? And praying. It's our choice, isn't it? He wants you to make sure that you're right as you come to the table. He doesn't want you to walk away and uh, having those burdens there, you know, he wants those to be dealt with, and he wants you to bring them to him and confess them, and ask in faith, believing and forgiving from our heart anybody who might have wronged us. Have that fellowship that we are to have, and God is looking for that in our lives. So he uh, ties all that up, and of course, in our Mark passage, it's kind of interesting. You'll have a, you might have. Um, brackets in verse 26 and basically there's nothing wrong with that verse being there and it's included some of the scribes might have taken that because it's taken from somewhere else that we just saw and so therefore, they might have put that. It doesn't matter. God's word is God's word. And whatever he said, he said, it's not wrong. It's a great statement. It is a good statement. It's included in our Mark passage. Some of the older uh, versions, manuscripts don't have that. So that's why you'll have the brackets. Don't let it bother you. Because it's stated elsewhere in God's word. And uh, it, to us, I think it uh, rings, rings a bell and, and explains that. Anyway, God is a God that is to be believed, to be trusted, recognizing His great power and having our faith in Him and realizing that that's the kind of power that forgave our sins. And of course, we get to trust in Him and you've experienced that power many, many times. And you start thinking about it. How many prayers have been answered? How many times have you do you thank the Lord for your food? Well, in the Sermon on the Mount it says, "Give us this day our daily bread." They went from day to day. Many of them did day to day. Sometimes they had no food. The next day they did. Well, we have food stocked up. You know, we have more food than we need for the day. Hopefully, if we don't, probably wind up at McDonald's or somewhere. We know he does that, but what we do. We give him thanks, or, or we say that, saying, "Give us this day daily bread," and he provides everything we need. All the things that we don't even think about, that we're not even asking, he's giving us incredible amounts. We are loaded. Grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. Isn't it good to remember that? And that's why he, you know, you just go in prayer and you give him thanks. And of course, Thanksgiving is coming up, and that reminds us to keep giving him more thanks. <laughs> I mean, that's the best way you can praise God, giving Him thanks. Because it's recognizing what He has done, what He is doing, what He will do. And so we, um, we say thank You, Lord, for this power of prayer. And You ask in Jesus' name and for what His will is and He will give to all those who believe Him. It's an incredible statement. What kind of power is that? It's the power that will curse a, a tree and next day it's done. Let's pray. Father in Heaven, we ask of You that the very power of You come down to us. That we would trust You evermore. Having the right motive in prayer and then just praying that consistently. Being convinced that it's right, we pray to You. We keep knocking on the door. And there are many reasons, there's many lessons why You may not give us the answer right at this moment. Sometimes You do. And many times You often do. Sometimes it's much different than the way we think. And if we'd only look back, we'd realize that, oh, you answered that a long time ago. Anyway, Lord, we help us trust. Help our unbelief. And Lord, we can almost feel a little bit convicted. And yet, at the same time, you're here to give us encouragement. That's what that was all about, to give to the disciples, because you weren't going to be around physically. You're there always. But you want us, to just pour our hearts and our needs, our wants to you, our desires, and just talk it over with you. So thank you for this blessing. In your Son's name, amen. Amen.